Let's pray together. Lord, we say with Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We thank you for Jesus and all the truth we have just sung about him and to him. He is our all in all. But he is our savior from our sin. He gives a peace that the world can't give or take away that passes understanding. Gives us promises of eternal life in heaven with you forever. That he proved through his own resurrection from the dead and says, Because I live, you will live also. And thank you that he is committed to preserving us to the end and intercedes for us even now at the right hand of God. He's praying for us. Just thank you that he is ours and we are his. And I pray for anyone who's here today who doesn't know Jesus, that even today you would show them why they need him and that they would be drawn to him as the only one who can save. Lord, you know every single heart this morning. You know the joys and sorrows and everything in between. And I just pray through your word now that you would speak to us, you would address every need of those who are listening this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the reasons God's people love the Psalms is that they express the feelings of our hearts in a wide variety of life's experiences. Our text for today starts off with the distressing situation of feeling forgotten by God. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 13 as we begin another series of summer psalms. Psalm 13. Let's look first at the superscription. It says, for the choir director. And that tells us this psalm was deliberately composed to be used by God's people. It's not just a private journal entry that was never intended to be seen by anybody else. David wrote it so that others would benefit from his experience. Romans 15.4 says, Whatever was written in earlier times, including this psalm, was written for our instruction. So there's something we're intended to learn from what David wrote. And it goes on to say that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we're intended to learn something that will strengthen our hope in this psalm. And we're told it is a psalm of David, a man after God's own heart. He wrote most of the psalms, including a lot of psalms of joy and praise and thanksgiving, very upbeat. And yet in this psalm, um, it starts off on a very discouraging note. And that just reminds us that even strong believers sometimes experience seasons when God seems far away. Maybe you're in a season like that right now. Or you have been before. So in the first two verses, we see David expressing complaints 
to God. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? So David has some questions for God, and it's hard to miss that he asked how long four times. We don't know the exact circumstances that caused David to write these words, but whatever they were, they were lasting a long time, longer than David hoped they would. So David wants to know, how much longer are things going to stay this way? When will things get better? So think about feeling sick with some nasty stomach pains. If the doctor tells you, oh, don't worry, this is just a 24-hour bug. By this time tomorrow, you'll be feeling great. You'd be very encouraged. But if he says, you know, I'm not sure when you'll get better. In fact, I don't know if you'll ever feel good again. You'd be crushed. (laughs) You'd like to have some deadline of, okay, in a week I'll be better, or a month I'll be better, but just, I don't know. And that's where David is in this psalm at the beginning. He doesn't know when or even if things will get better. Matthew Henry wrote this, Long afflictions try our patience and often tire it. It is a common temptation when trouble lasts long to think it will last always. Despondency then turns into despair, and those that have long been without joy begin at last to be without hope. David has four basic complaints. First, it seems like God has forgotten him. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It's one thing to have another person forget us. Maybe you've experienced that. But it's really miserable to think that God has forgotten us. And so David cries out, how long will it take before you notice me, Lord? And he suggests a possible answer. Will you neglect me forever? Well, it's bad enough to be forgotten by God, but David says it's even worse than that. The next phrase says, how long will you hide your face from me? So God has deliberately turned away from me. He won't even look at me. He's facing in the opposite direction. There's some other people who felt that way in the scriptures. Um, Job said that in Job 13.24. Job 13.24. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Or Psalm 88. Psalm 88. This is Ethan in a very discouraging song, excuse me, Haman, Haman, verse 13 and 14. But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? So I'm going to you, Lord, I'm trying to get through, and you're hiding your face from me. Or Jeremiah says that in Lamentations 5, verse twenty. Why do you forget us forever? 
Why do you forsake us so long? Third, God has left me on my own. Back in Psalm 13, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? So if you read First and Second Samuel, you know David would inquire of the Lord. He would seek God's guidance, seek God's counsel. What do you want me to do, Lord? Should I go pursue the Philistines? Should I go do this? And God would answer. But here, David's seeking answers from God, and he's not getting any answers. So he has to take counsel in his own soul. And David says, I, now I have to figure out things in my own wisdom. I don't have the benefit of God directing me. And when I try to come up with a way out of this mess, it produces nothing but sorrow in my heart all day long. And last, how long will God let my enemies have the upper hand? How long will my enemy be exalted over me. As you read David's biography in First and Second Samuel, you see he always has enemies to deal with. Saul, Absalom, others are against him and want him out of the way. So Ronald Allen summarizes these first two verses like this. I'm hurting, they're winning, and you don't care. So here's David. A man after God's own heart saying, God is nowhere to be found. He is not answering my prayers. He has left me on my own to deal with all my troubles. And I have no idea if or when God will come through for me. Charles Spurgeon writes, If you have never yet found occasion to use the language of this psalm, you will do so before long. In other words, sooner or later, just about all of us will go through some times when it feels like God is absent and silent. And that's a very discouraging place to be. Well, you might be thinking, okay, it's somewhat encouraging to know I'm not the only one who's ever felt forgotten by God. David and Spurgeon and other believers have been there. But is there something more to learn from the psalm that would give me some hope? Now let's keep reading. David goes from expressing complaints to God to making requests to God in verse 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. Dale Ralph Davies asks, Did you really hear verse 1 and 2? And now do you really see verse 3? Do you see a logical disconnect? Let's trace the psalm so far as if it had been you who has been praying. You pray and pray, and God does not pay attention He hides his face, you say. You plead and cry, and there is no relief. So what do you do? You go right on praying. I call this the instinct of faith. Even when God seems to turn a deaf ear to us, a believer will simply keep coming back to him. Think about what Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1. 
He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So you see the connection? Jesus says the remedy that will keep us from losing heart, giving up, just wanting to say forget it, is to keep on praying. Don't stop praying, keep praying. Or go to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Verse 22. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. See what's going on there? David's in some kind of crisis. He feels cut off from God. God's forgotten me. God's forsaken me. I can't get through to him. Where is he? Doesn't seem like my prayers are getting through. And then he says, but in spite of my fears and doubts, God still heard all my prayers. Isn't that encouraging? You might not feel like you're getting through. You might be praying and praying and praying for a long time. And it feels like, well, that's not doing any good. But God hears every single one of those. Nevertheless, isn't that a beautiful word? In spite of what I was thinking and feeling, God was being faithful. David makes three requests. First of all, consider. Look it up in the dictionary. It means to think of, especially with regard to taking some action, to take into account, to regard or treat in an attentive or kindly way. In other words, Lord, it seems like you've been ignoring me. Would you please pay attention to me? Second request is answer me. Lord, it sure seems like you're not listening when I pray. Would you please answer my prayers? And third, enlighten my eyes, or light up my eyes. David's not talking about physical vision, but spiritual insight. Lord, I'm in the dark about what's going on. I've been taking counsel of my own soul, and that doesn't help. I can't see anything clearly doing that. Please open my eyes to see my situation from your perspective instead of just my perception. Our perception of reality is often inaccurate. You figured that out? We misread a person's facial experience, expression or misjudge what they meant by a comment. And we jump to wrong conclusions about what's going on in the relationship. And we do that with God too. Think of Jacob. All his circumstances seem to be going wrong. He thought Joseph was dead. Now they're going to take away Benjamin and just everything's going wrong. And at one point he gets so discouraged, he says, all these things are against me. Is that true? Well, if you keep reading in Genesis, you discover all of those things are actually working for his good. Joseph will summarize the whole story by, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
Or when you hear about the Apostle Paul being in prison, we might think, well, that's bad news. That's a setback for the gospel. But that's not the right way to see it. Go to Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. This isn't a setback for the gospel. It's for the greater progress of the gospel. That's God's perspective. But it might not have been our perception. We might be in a situation right now that doesn't make any sense to us. And this psalm says we can pray like David, O Lord my God, open my eyes, enlighten my eyes eyes to see things the way they really are. Psalm 13 starts by expressing complaints to God, then moves to making requests to God, and it ends with recovering hope in God. Back to Psalm 13, verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So David starts off by stating, In the past I have trusted in your loving kindness, your steadfast love. He tells God, I'm counting on your unfailing, committed love. We already mentioned that Jeremiah felt forgotten by God. Listen to what he says in Lamentations 3, if you want to turn to that. Lamentations 3. Verses 1 through 20 is just one lament after another. Here's the summary of it. Verse 17. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. So no peace, no happiness, no strength, no hope. Pretty low. Verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Do you see that change? No happiness, no good, no peace, no strength, no hope. How does he get to, I have hope? And it's remembering the Lord's loving kindness and his compassion and his faithfulness and that God is my portion. And that's what turns it around. David says, 
also that uh, I need to. There's a note in here somewhere that we don't have a time reference between how how much time is between stanzas. Maybe that's good to know. This isn't over in two minutes. That where are you, God? Is this taking forever? You wouldn't say forever if if it's over in by verse six, like that fast. So there's no time reference. Think of Psalm 40. Waiting I waited on the Lord. Remember he's in this pit of miry clay. Waiting I waited. We're not told how long he had to wait before he got out of the miry clay. God got him out. But it might have been a long time. And the same in this psalm and some of the other psalms that say how long and end on a better note. We just don't know the time framework between. So, so David says, I've trusted past tense in your love and kindness. And he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I can't rejoice in my circumstances. There's not much joy there. But I can and will rejoice in God's salvation. Remember what we saw back in 1 Peter chapter 1? Back a few months ago. Go to 1 Peter 1. We'll start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not be fading away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So Peter gets that we're not rejoicing in our trials. He says, I know you're distressed by them. It's understandable that you'd be distressed. I'm not asking you to rejoice in the trials. I'm saying there's enough to rejoice in the fact that God caused us to be born again to a living hope, and he's keeping us forever until that heavenly inheritance. That's something we can rejoice in no matter how awful your day is going. So David says, I've trusted in your love and kindness. I will rejoice in your salvation. And last, I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. So there's two possible ways to understand that. One is that it's already happened. God did enlighten his eyes to see his perspective. Did answer his prayers. Gave abundant proof of his goodness. He worked it out. And now David looks back over that situation and says, Sure enough, God dealt bountifully with me. He got me through that storm. But the other possibility is he has a confident expectation, in other words, hope, that God will deal bountifully with him in the future, and he is so sure about it that he puts it in the past tense because it's as good as done. And you see that in the Psalms multiple times, so I'm inclined to think that's what it is. It hasn't happened yet, but my hope is in God, this confident expectation that God will come through for me, So I'm convinced God will answer. David knows the day will come when he can say, in the words of Psalm 116, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. That day is coming. I don't know when, but it is coming. 
when we will look back on whatever we've gone through and say, return to your rest, oh my soul. It's okay. It's okay. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Well, as we close, there's something much worse than feeling forgotten and forsaken by God. And that is actually being forsaken by God and cut off from Him forever. That is infinitely worse. If God is alerting you to that danger, acknowledge, I am separated from God right now because of my sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Well, how big a separation is it? Well, the Nordstroms went out to the Grand Canyon this week. Maybe some of you have been there too. I've never been there. I flew over it. But I've never been there. But apparently, it ranges from 10 to 18 miles across. So think of God on one side of the Grand Canyon and you on the other side of the Grand Canyon. Let's just split the difference and call it 15 miles. 15 miles between here and God. And I think I, think I could jump that. Levi, was, did you do long jump in track? Jesse did jump. Okay. How, how far did you jump? How many? 19 feet. Okay, 19 feet. I can't jump as far as Jesse. <laughs> that may be good for six. <laughs> I need to go 15 miles to get over to God. In other words, my good deeds, my religious efforts and activities are going to fall hopelessly short. I'm not going to make it on my anything. 2 Timothy 1 says it this way. God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. It's not about you jumping over the chasm between you and God. You can't. So just give that up. Our only hope is to trust Christ alone to forgive our sin and bring us to God. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So none of us, including you, including me, are going to get to God, are going to get across that Grand Canyon of sin, except by Jesus taking us there. Maybe you've seen the tract or whatever it's a, that has this bridge that's in the shape of a cross. The only bridge that can get us to God is Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. And when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus didn't just feel forsaken in that moment. He was forsaken by God the Father. They had enjoyed the closest imaginable fellowship from all eternity, and now that was separated. And the wrath of God was poured out on him that should have fallen on us. We talked in Sunday school this morning about the darkness that was over the land as a symbol of God's judgment. 
the veil being torn. All this is happening to Jesus, so it's not happening to us if we put our trust in him. God brought him back from the dead the third day to show he had done everything necessary to restore sinners to a holy God. This is how Peter says it in Acts 10. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we were cut off and would stay cut off from you forever if you had not sent Jesus. We thank you that he was willing and able to endure being separated from you and under your wrath so that all who put their trust in him would be spared from that and brought to you to enjoy you forever. I pray again for anyone who's trying to get to you on their own works, their own merit, their own goodness, that they would forsake that hopeless attempt and put all their trust in Christ. And Lord, for those who, by grace, have come to know Jesus, Lord, strengthen our faith. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the turn that David made because of your mercy. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters in this room that are maybe feeling forgotten right now by you. Lord, that um, that time of waiting on you would come to an end soon and that they would be able to say you have dealt bountifully with their souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing, It is well with my soul.